Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with my guest, Melissa Rusiano. Melissa is a licensed clinical social worker and certified Daring Way facilitator. Her work focuses on high-achieving individuals who live through the lens of imposter syndrome, hustle to prove their worth, and fear failure more than anything. In this episode, Melissa shares her story of burnout and how it's led her to where she is today and helping healthcare providers thrive as individuals and as human beings. We talk about her story. We talk about the role of shame in burnout, as well as imposter syndrome. Melissa shares with us ways that we can start becoming more self-aware of these things and healing from them individually and collectively. You don't want to miss this episode. So grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the show. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. You know, I I really appreciate your energy so much. I've had the opportunity to listen to a couple of your your interviews and obviously go to your website and read more about you. So we could really use your energy right now. In healthcare. Um, So thank you for being here. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are? Absolutely. Well, my name, um, as everybody knows by now, is Melissa Rusciano, and I am located on the East Coast, and I am a licensed clinical social worker with a specialty in working with just this area, Mm. working with helping professionals and individuals who have these very demanding jobs that, you know, have that residual effect of either feeling like an imposter, getting crispy, as I like to say, which is either compassion fatigue, burnout, somewhere in the middle, all of the above and just really want to thrive in their career. You know, they know why they entered the field and just can't find that balance between families and demanding jobs and all of that in between. So 
I love working with my clients. They're all just very passionate and dedicated to their fields. So I'm excited to be here and talk more about this very important subject. This is amazing. So can you tell me about like, was this always your focus or has, have you pivoted no. into this role? Okay. Total pivot. Tell me Total more about pivot. that <laughs> because we need you <laughs> and we appreciate you. So yes. you, if you could tell me more about how you found your way here. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we all kind of find our way in life just through this circuitous route. And my undergrad, I had gone to school to be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been very healthcare minded. And I went to college in Southern California and decided I liked the beach and the sun a little bit more than chem lab. And so it was like, all right, I still want to be in healthcare. How can I do that? And found myself in this field that I really couldn't imagine doing anything else. So kind of did the whole, I'm going to work in an agency. I'm going to work with families. I'm going to work with this. I'm going to work with that. And got to the point of ending up being an executive director of a large company and started experiencing burnout myself and getting to the point of being like, gosh, this is not why I went into this field. And I was able to leave, open a private practice. And it was through that experience of just going through the, okay, I could move to Fiji and I could sell umbrella drinks on the beach and everybody would love me. And realizing um, I don't want to leave this field. I just need to reevaluate why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so over the last 14 years of being in private practice, my career has just sort of morphed to seeing that need, knowing what it was like when I experienced that mm -hmm. and went through that period of my career and knowing that you can get to the another side. And there just weren't people talking about it. They weren't talking about it to the degree that I think it needs to be talked about. It was, oh gosh, I'm doing something wrong, or I can't tell my boss that I'll lose my job. And I think that's unfortunate because mm -hmm. especially now. I think if you're not experiencing some level of compassion fatigue, given the two and a half years we've been through, you know, I question that, I think more so than I question the folks that really need that intervention, because it's been a rough road for all right. of us. And so you were in the position as an ED. So even mm -hmm. like... Like, you know, from an, from a leadership perspective, then for you to be vulnerable enough to recognize yes. that in yourself and be open right. about that and the realities yes. of being human around that, I think is super powerful, even yes. as a frontline provider right. to, to connect with you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, it's, it's really rough because I think anybody, and especially the frontline workers that I interact with, it's really hard because it's like, okay, well, if I just change here, I'll be fine. If I just tweak over here, I'm going to be okay. All right. I just, I have to make it through. I just had a conversation yesterday. I just have to make it to three weeks. In three weeks, I have this deadline and this project's due. And then once I get to that, I'll be okay. And my question always is, okay, well, you go with you after that project's due. What's going to be left of you in three mm -hmm. weeks? What's going to be left of you in six weeks? You know, a week vacation especially with uh, a diagnosable burnout type arena, a vacation isn't going to recharge your batteries to get you back on that straight and narrow. Right. And that was something that I've like personally experienced over the years is whenever I had a break, I would get sick or I would feel Absolutely. I was more run down. And I think that was that's part of the reason why I do the show is so people recognize that it's that delayed, it's almost that delayed onset. You don't know you're in Absolutely. it. Until yes. until you crash. So at the time when you were experiencing burnout, what mm -hmm. were your 
like I know you were out, you felt out of integrity with what you, what right. your intentions for practicing right. were, but what were you actually feeling? Like, did you have any physical symptoms as well? Or was yes. it mainly more emotional and mental? Um, I think it's when you get to that point, um, I would love to say we could operate in a vacuum and we could keep it mental or we could keep it physical. But I think our, our bodies are designed in such a way that it's so interconnected mm -hmm. that as soon as the emotional fatigue gets to the point that it can often get to with burnout, inadvertently your body just catches up and is like, gosh, you know, if this is going on emotionally, something, you know, that fight or flight, something's got to be wrong. And that's where those crashes help uh, or, or kick in. And so for me at that point, it was just, I was constantly exhausted. Like there was just not enough caffeine mm -hmm. in this land in order to sustain the energy it was to show up. I was a single mom at the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was, okay, I'm going to deal with everything going on at work. And then I'm going to come home and show up for this little girl who needs her mama to show up. And by the time she was going to bed, I'm like, okay, where's Netflix? Where's my glass of wine? I need to check out Crash so that I can do it all over again. And it was, you know, definitely feeling isolated. Some of that was by choice mm -hmm. of, I just don't have the energy to go hang out with people. I will do what I need to do for my daughter, but I don't have that energy to integrate those self-care issues for me no. to be able to have those connections. And some of it was the shame wrapped around how I was feeling, why I was feeling, and not really wanting to be honest about that to the people that were around me. I wanted, I'm glad you, you mentioned shame there because I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you a little bit more about yeah. that. It's not something I talk about as much on the podcast, specifically using the language of shame, right. um, mm -hmm. but I understand you're a Daring Way facilitator. I right? am, I am, um, yes. So can you share with me a little bit about shame and mm -hmm. its connection maybe to burnout? Because yes. I don't think we talk about that piece of it as well, mm -hmm. but yet I think as providers with our being mm -hmm. perfectionistic sometimes by nature, <laughs> wanting to provide high quality care. Yes. I think, um, yeah, I think sometimes that we can feel that as a result. Absolutely. And I think it's very common, but you're right. It isn't something that's, that's spoke about. And I think in any arena to come up and say, gosh, I feel shame about right. my actions, my behaviors is very difficult. It's a very vulnerable place to be, but you know, we all enter helping professions and fields and frontline positions because we want to show up and help people. Mm -hmm. um, you're right. We tend to be perfectionists, high achievers, you know, want to be able to always consistently provide the same level of service. And when you're still in the scope of practice, you're still being ethical by maybe licensing board standards or by professional standards, but you know in that heart of hearts, the core of who you are, that you're not showing up in the way you know you have, the way you know you can. But I think most importantly for us who are really passionate in this field, the way you want to. Mm -hmm. And that's where that disconnect kicks in. And guilt says, I did something wrong. I feel really guilty that I made that choice. Um, I feel really guilty that, you know, I said that to an individual, but Shane says, I am wrong. I am bad because of a choice that I made. And so it's almost like an internalized feeling of guilt that, 
it just permeates every being. So no longer are you this, you know, rock star professional who's always there for their patients or clients. Now you're somebody who feels like they have to hide. They can't really show up and be them because they know in the back of their head that they're not doing it to the best of their ability. And that becomes a very shameful spiral, Mm -hmm. which then tends to lead to isolation. Kind of, you know, in my example, and at that time, I don't think I realized what I was doing. And I don't think a lot of people do. It's not like we wake up one morning and say, I'm a shameful individual and I need to remove myself from people. I think it's just a, it's the, the humanity in all of us that wants to shirk and hide Mm -hmm. and not really show up around those who really love us and want to pour into us. Right. And, um, and I, and I love how Brene Brown has given us that language to describe exactly what you felt years ago. Um, and now you're paying that forward too. Mm -hmm. How do we facilitate in our organizations Mm -hmm. among healthcare providers or, Mm -hmm. you know, both leadership and healthcare Mm -hmm. providers or frontline providers anyway, how do we kind of come together on this when it comes Mm -hmm. to shame and how do we support one another? And do you have any uh, strategies or any Mm -hmm. experience in this area through your coaching? Like, Absolutely. I think one of the the really cool things about my job is you get to see, you know, the muck of that people are are waiting in. You get to see that transformation. And then I also am privileged on some occasions to see what they do with it. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with some physicians in the past that have privileges to be connected with residency programs. Mm-hmm. And now those residency programs have workshops, webinars, mandatory classes on burnout and compassion fatigue and balance. And the language is now a part of their discussion. Mm -hmm. And so being able to see that transformation and the impact that it's having just on their workplaces, that they're brave enough to step up and say, hey, this has to be a conversation. Like we can't remain in a vacuum. It has, has just been phenomenal. But for that individual who may be listening or um, knows of somebody, because we all know of somebody in our circles, even if we're not willing to hold the mirror in front of our face. Mm-hmm. Um, who so true. Is, yeah, so true. Yeah, that hit me right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're so easy to see it in someone else sometimes, Absolutely. right? But not in ourselves. Oh my yes, God, that, that just really hit me. Oh, thank you for... <laughs> For knocking me over the head with that. Okay. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> but, it, but it's so true. It's it just is. that, oh my gosh, look, I see symptoms of burnout over there. But sometimes it's because it's that that inside being of us kind of screaming, going, hello, you know, mm-hmm. that's what's going on with you. And to be able to really start having the conversation. Like what are some signs and symptoms? We all know them. We can point them out in our clients and patients. We're so good to talk about balance and self-care and all the things we quote unquote should be doing. But at the end of the day, how many of us go home and operationalize exactly what we talked about all day long? And I think to really be able to have somebody in your trusted circle, whether it's a coach, a clinician, a peer, a mentor, who can you can be real with. Mm-hmm. It could even be a significant other or a best friend, but someone to be real with so you can start really having check-ins, kind of like the statement that you said just hit you over the head, to have somebody in your tribe, in your circle that can ask the tough questions that maybe mm-hmm. you're not ready or not wanting to ask yourself. Right. And, and you know, on this podcast, I, I speak about checking in with others a lot, but 
I've you've made me aware right now and just asking myself that too, right? Because I'm always mm-hmm. concerned about the team and and whatnot that I'm so yeah. and we're in service professions, right? So right. <laughs> it's right. just my natural mm-hmm. instinct to go outward. Yes. Um, but definitely also then reciprocating that with myself mm-hmm. too. But thankfully, you know, I work with colleagues who are, are really aware of that as well mm-hmm. and, and respond mm-hmm. and, and react right. reciprocally. So uh, that's great. Um, so tell me, there's this quote on your website of Brene Brown, and I wanted to ask how this resonates with you. So let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. So mm-hmm. I, I've heard this quote before. I've got goosebumps mm-hmm. sharing it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so why does why did you pick this quote for your site and mm-hmm. about behind the mission of what you do? And uh-huh. why does it resonate with you so much? It's what you said. I read this quote. I was like, oh, gosh, what quote was it? I think I have quotes everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh, will I be able to eloquently respond? But that one, hands down, absolutely. Because I think we all, and I have amazing parents. I have an amazing family. So this has nothing to do on my family of origin. And I'm bl- I know I'm blessed to be able to say that. I know not everybody can say that. Mm-hmm. But I think we're raised with this image. I was raised with this, you know, if there's problems in the family, they stay in the family. You walk out the door, you have a smile on your face. Your clothes are perfect. You don't act up. You don't create trouble. It's like this image. Like inside the house, you get to be real. Outside the house, you have to put on that mask, that mm-hmm. image. And I think that created within me and I think creates in many of us as we go through our academics, start our career, launch our career, become successful in whatever arena we are, that this is how you show up and are supposed to act when you put on um, the physician's coat, when you put on the therapist hat. Um, I worked with a judge once. For her, it was her robe. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she took the robe off, um, her whole world would fall apart. But that robe was almost her superpower. And I think we all show up and we play the role. Mm. And when someone asks, what do you do? Well, I'm a physician, I'm a nurse, I'm a, you know, I'm a therapist, I'm a judge. And that is a huge piece of who you are, but that's not all of who you are. And to be able to say, okay, this is a piece and there isn't, yes, okay, there's ethical and clinical and professional guidelines, Mm -hmm. but you still bring you to your job. And to be able just to be able to unabashedly be who you are. And that means, you know, being quirky and not being perfect and realizing that there's a humanity in everything you do. And I think that transition lets go of a lot of stress on individuals to say, I can just be me. Mm-hmm. Whether I have the judge's robe on or whether I have sweats and a hoodie on, I can just be me and be really good at what I do. Uh, could you say then that it's almost like a way of bringing yourself to your work in some yes. way as opposed to yes. just, yeah, as opposed to just separating the two so much? Right. Um, like, for example, I, I love storytelling. I, I mm-hmm. you know, I love that passion of communication and connection. And being in physiotherapy, my practice was mainly taught around physical um, Mm -hmm. application of things. And it wasn't until, you know, going through my journey with my dad as a caregiver and seeing Mm -hmm. him go through the system, did I recognize to the impact of that piece about this patient's story. And, Mm -hmm. and that's what keeps me passionate, I guess that's my form mm-hmm. of play as well. Yeah. And in bringing mm-hmm. that piece of me, um, and, yeah. it, and it fuels me, you know, in my work as much as possible, too. 
so now you're you're a provider for providers <laughs> and that like you're like the ultimate provider so I, I, that has to be that has to be um stressful it has to be no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> right exactly <laughs> i'm not saying you have all of the answers I know, I know. but and and, I, and um and i know you understand that but what yeah. keep what keeps you here now where you're at you're in private practice um this mm. is what you're doing yes you know what keeps you here and what do you kind of see for yourself moving forward forward and the future of healthcare and healthcare providers. Yeah. I can't stress enough how much I love what I do. And I just feel honored to have the respect of individuals who they know the language, they know the theory, they know the behind the scenes, they could predict my move, next move if they so (laughs) wanted to, but they choose not to. So whether it's in a clinical realm or a coaching realm, I just feel very blessed to have the clients that I have. And it keeps me here because there's such a huge need out there and there's a huge need for individuals who, and and I know I'm not the only one, I know there's many of me's out there that really have a passion for this field, but they're not going to treat individuals like they don't have the intellectual background as well. And I teach graduate school classes and I always tell my students, like, you want to be a prosumer, you're a professional and a consumer of services. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be able to show up and realize that I can use a theory and my client knows what I'm talking about, but they also know that I'm going to call them out Mm -hmm. for not following through on, you know, their self-care plan or not following through on an accountability task that we determined before. And I think in the future of healthcare, I think the landscape has changed significantly. And I think that is going to require a shift um, for every single healthcare provider, myself included, on how you tackle what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with so many right now, specifically nurses and mental health clinicians that are actively looking to leave the field. Yeah. And that breaks my heart, but they've been so disillusioned over the last two years that they don't see any other option but to pivot and completely lose, leave the field and everything they've worked for. And I see, because I'm seeing that happen more and more, I think it really causes um, for the rest of us to rise up, support our peers, support our teams, have active conversations about this and realize that it doesn't make you weak to ask for help. Mm-hmm. It makes you human and that that could really help get you over the hump. Yeah. And the other side to that, maybe we can talk about this a bit as well, is the access. So you and I are having this conversation, but I, this is not me as a physio per se, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not coming to you uh, for service in that way. I met right. you as a podcast guest for Absolutely. my, you know, yes. this is uh, something that we do outside of our work right. about yep. the work in a way and to, right. to rise up and, and bring right. everybody mm-hmm. together on this. Do you find from, I don't know from your clients, if you mm-hmm. could share this, but um, do you, is there that support at an organizational level, what you're speaking of it? And that's, and that's what I'm saying. So to, mm-hmm. so people are at having to access this essentially on their own, right? Exactly. Which to me is very unfortunate. Yes. Most organizations have employee assistant programs mm-hmm. or they have insurance based supports and referral systems. Unfortunately, depending on where you are in the country, where you are, you know, even internationally, there is a disconnect between utilizing insurance benefits. A lot of mental health providers are not accepting insurance benefits 
just because of the constraints it puts on them. And to be honest, some of my clients are happy about that because they don't want the record that they saw a mental health professional, which to me just promotes shame. If we're not talking about it, having services, providing free access to something, even if it's three sessions to do an assessment, where are you at? Do you need more intensive services? Let me get you linked up with somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, Then all we're doing is promoting that shame of keep this hidden, keep this small, keep this quiet. And oh, by the way, go navigate the complexities of finding somebody who you can click with, who specializes in this particular arena and who you can afford. Right. That's the other issue. Exactly. You spoke to so many layers there, actually. <laughs> like, it, you know, no, 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 that's really good. Um, but I mean, I, I, I hope that in having you here um, and in doing mm-hmm. things like this together and you promoting um, yourself too on podcast and just getting the word out, I do hope mm-hmm. that even if, you know, it reaches one person, that's, that's what's got me to this point. It's worth it. And like you said, I just hope that it has this cumulative reaction. And then who knows, I mean, maybe in some organizations, there will be this integrated in there as Mm -hmm. well, because I I do think burnout happens at many different levels. So I think organizationally, systemically, but also individually, and yet we're, we're all the same, right? Like we can all connect. Our titles may be different, but right we're feeling the same common themes. Absolutely. And I think that from my work as a, as an ED all the way down to being self-employed and and I'm not minimizing or elevating one degree over another or one title over another, it doesn't matter how many letters you have behind the name, or if you have absolutely no letters behind your name, humanity is humanity is humanity. And we all experience life the same. And we all experience that need for connection and that need for understanding. Mm -hmm. And you're so true. Burnout can happen whether you have no letters or whether you have the entire alphabet behind your name. Burnout is experienced identical. And I think that's hard for some individuals to wrap their head around of, well, I'm educated. I should know better. I, I, I've said it before. I teach people and coach people through this all day long, every day, and I can't take my own advice. And that then becomes almost weaponized of, mm-hmm. you know, see, I, I can do it, but I don't take my own advice. And it becomes very, that inner critic becomes very self-destructive, but it doesn't matter who you are and what your title is. We all experience this the same and we all need to heal the same. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we all don't have the same access to services. And I hope that changes. I hope that this conversation can start to grow and people can realize how destructive this is. And we're losing amazing people from this field. Right. And that's what I was going to say. I wanted to touch a little bit about that, about the resignation, but also what you just mentioned. How do you know if it's what you just explained about that inner critic? Um, How do you know if, how do you know if that's like imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. or if that is deeper than that, maybe like how, Mm -hmm. in terms of whether you reach out or whether you um, recognize that you are burning out? Yeah. I think on some levels, we're all imposters. We all feel like imposters. We all have some elements, whether it be um, at our kids' school, at our local church, you know, or at in our business. I think at some levels, we all feel like imposters, but when it becomes damaging is when, you know, uh, to use that word weaponizing, we start using it 
to increase that negative self-talk to be mm-hmm. like, yep, see, um, you put that judge's robe on and you send people to jail every day, but look, you go home and you're in a very unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And why do they listen to you in the courtroom? You should just quit your job. And, mm-hmm. and it sounds so dramatic, but it doesn't start that way. It's like, you know, putting the frog in a in a pot of hot water, which I would never do for all the PETA listeners, <laughs> that, you know, you turn it up and you turn it up. And before you know it, the water's boiling versus, you know, placing a frog in boiling water, they're going to jump right out. Well, our inner critic is very similar. It doesn't start with the most dramatic statement. Um, because you'd be like, well, that's not true. Like, I can't listen to that. It starts with the little things of, oh, hey, why did you just do that at work? Like, you just did the opposite at home. That was silly. And then it just ramps up and ramps up. And when your inner critic is dictating the choices you make, how you view yourself, how much you shrink from other people, that's when it it becomes very consuming and very domineering. Wow. And that could be a source of, you know, again, when we're, when we're assessing our own competency, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it could be that, that inner conflict or that inner right. critic mm-hmm. speaking to yeah. us rather than a lack of actual competency. And I, I right. know that I've chatted with a few healthcare providers on this, mm-hmm. especially ones who are, are fairly new to the profession mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. who struggle with this quite a bit. And mm-hmm. some, and I literally have asked before, you know, is it, confidence is it is it imposter syndrome or is it actually competency it's almost like right. they're they, they're just persisting on filling a cup mm-hmm. that they just never see as full and and Absolutely. you know and you can see them in pain going through this process mm-hmm. and, sp- and spiraling and um at what point is it burnout like it, what is it that stops you in your tracks like mm-hmm. is it that you just end up crashing or that you know something ends up happening that you realize Well, I think it can come from a a whole bunch of different avenues. And I think sometimes you can have imposter syndrome that is going to lead to anxiety. That's going to lead maybe perhaps to panic attacks. Mm. And that's what slows you down and stops you and forces you to get help. Sometimes it leads to burnout because it's it's culminating with an unrealistic work schedule, um, no self-care on the flip side, no downtime, no relaxation. And so then it hits you from a physical angle that mm. your body just crashes. Sometimes it comes with um, a conflict at work. I spoke with a physician earlier this week mm-hmm. who um, had a conflict just with management, office, ma- you know, office manager, and just how patients were scheduled drew a line, stood her ground, and decided to take a month off to reevaluate. And it was during that month. You know, that month has now turned into six months because mm-hmm. that month created that crash mm-hmm. that probably could have been pushed off if she kept working. Not healthy, but mm-hmm. it could have if she kept working. But that was solely for her advocating for her patients and wanting a more realistic scheduling system so she can have the time with her patients to address their concerns. So that isn't something that most people would predict. So it really can come from any angle, Mm -hmm. but that inner critic, that self-talk usually is that precursor 
to a crash kicking in because the more negative you are, the more destructive you are, then the more that impacts your behaviors. Mm -hmm. So your thoughts are going to trigger your emotions, your emotions trigger your behaviors. And so if the thoughts are super negative, eventually it's going to trickle down to choices you make. Okay. And then so to just some simple advice that you could give or strategies that you can give to if someone is catching themselves in mm-hmm. that cycle, yeah. um, anything that you would suggest that you could right now to make aware of that and then also yeah. to maybe, you know, start reversing it, hopefully. Yeah, those inner gremlins can be very loud. And mm-hmm. sometimes um, I could probably rattle off my top 10. And a lot of individuals can. Sometimes it's so it's so muscle memory. It's so routine that step one is knowing your awareness. You've got to be aware of what you're saying to yourself. And usually I ask my clients, I start with 24 hours. And once I get the roll of the eyes, then I kind of, you know, break it down to, okay, could you give me two hours, you know, two hours of being able to catch and write down anything negative you say to yourself or dictate into a a memo pad on your phone. We can get all high tech about it. You can go old school and write it down. But first and foremost is being aware. And then secondly, being able to look at those statements and determine, okay, what is fact and what is fear? Mm -hmm. Um, Fear, if you look at the acronym F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And so a lot of what we say to ourselves negatively has like this little element of truth to it, but it has a lot of fear based into it and a lot of just exaggeration. Mm -hmm. So if we look at it and say, I'm a crappy therapist because I told somebody to write a self-care plan and I haven't followed mine in six months. Um, are you a crappy therapist? Because then the next step is to be able to rewrite them with truth. Mm. Um, I am a therapist who needs to up my self-care game. Mm. Does it make me a crappy therapist? It means that I'm aware and I just right. need to up my follow through. Right. And so it's first identifying second and being able to reframe it once you're able to realize what's truth and what's fear. Love that. So now speaking about uh, the resignation that uh-huh. you're that you're seeing can you just speak more about that? We know it's happening. And I would say that it's, it's, if it hasn't happened yet, it's also going to happen at the leadership level too. um, Because Mm -hmm. I can deeply empathize with what they're experiencing as well, Mm -hmm. trying to keep things together and keep everyone safe. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so what are you what are you noticing is leading up to that moment where people are coming to you and they're seriously like opting out. And I just want to say that I, I hope that if you are feeling this way that you actually do seek some support before you Mm -hmm. make that decision, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that someone else can help see it objectively. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, When I was going through my my experience with burnout and transitioning careers, I went to to see a naturopath mm. and um, I was having some health issues, wanted to see what's related to stress, what's related to medical. And she looked at me and she said, you have to take a year off of work. And I looked at her and I said, you're crazy. I'm not taking your off of work. She says, no, you have to take your off of work to rebuild. I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't want to listen to you anymore. And to be honest, I never went back. And that's my stubborn side. Yeah. What I learned from that was that, you know, that is a very popular opinion. Take a huge chunk of time off of work and reevaluate. But who do you know right now? 
who can afford financially, who's burned out, stressed out, doesn't know when's on, what ends up to say, okay, I'm going to take a year off of work and still be able to pay my rent, pay my mortgage, feed my kids, feed myself, drive my vehicle. It's not realistic. Mm-hmm. And so when I see individuals, that story always kind of is in the back of my head because I know how it impacted me. And I never want to create that issue for somebody else as well. But for some individuals, it is very important that if you have the opportunity to take a month off, if you can't, if you can't, maybe you do need to step away from the field for six months, eight months, a year to reevaluate what your priorities are, what your goals are, what your values are. Is that the field? Do you just need a break and kind of course correct? or are you really ready to leave the field? And in some cases, and I'm thinking of one clinician I'm working with right now is that may be in her best option because she can't differentiate. And there is a concern that the care delivered may not be really truly what her clients need. So Mm -hmm. in some cases, stepping away is not a bad idea temporarily. Right. If you can afford to do so. If you can afford to do so or being able to take a different, you know, paying job just for that short term. Other cases, I think um, I have a nurse, she just graduated in May and she's Mm -hmm. already wanting to leave the field. And so for her, it's about expectations, the expectations entering the field Mm -hmm. versus the reality of what she hit. Um, A lot of medical facilities, I'm sure you've had many of guests speak to this, short staffed, low staffed, not adequately staffed. And so, you know, with her, it's okay, let's reevaluate your expectations. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my daughter works in an ER and actually just this morning, she's like, mom, they offered me 90 bucks an hour to come in and pick up an eight hour shift. And I'm like, how many shifts have you worked this week? And she's like, yeah, but mom, it's 90 bucks an hour plus a bonus pay if I do this once a week. I'm like, that's great. But when does that lead to a crash? And so I think in a lot of hospitals, it's, um, or just medical facilities in general, those expectations need to be shifted to be able to say, okay, this is realistic for me. I can only work my assigned shifts. And I expect that of my peers. And maybe with this particular individual, shifting expectations is going to get her to have more longevity in the field. Right. Um, with other people, it's, you know, it's about how do I tweak my schedule? Mm-hmm. How do I make sure outside of work, I have this full thriving life that I want to leave the office, the hospital, the facility to get home to. Mm-hmm. So on my time off, I kayak, I paddleboard, I go for walks, you know, I get in the dirt and play with my kids. Um, I developed a pottery habit, you know, whatever that is, is to be able to create a life outside of work, that work is your job, your occupation, a part of you, but it's not your full identity. Right. And it kind of concerns me, like back to your daughter's story, because uh-huh. that's very common, right? Because of the shortages going on. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of concerns me that we're using money to define value. And I don't think that your pay necessarily, and I guess it's every to each their own. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we're paid enough. <laughs> but right, what I am right. saying is that that just kind of to me is almost like that little bit of an indicator that, you know, we're short um, in that, yeah, you, you could you could be also making a decision that could lend yourself towards 
more exactly. of burning out, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Even though the money sounds great and it sounds like I just mm-hmm. do eight hours and I'm done. Right. What, is, what does it really mean? For right. me, it means like the bigger picture is that right. uh, mm-hmm. we're in dire need. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. You know, mm-hmm. and so it, it is concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm all for advocating for equal and um, obviously greater pay, especially yes. for, mm-hmm. for providers right now doing what they're yeah. doing. Um, so tell me, uh, Melissa, where can people connect with you? And um, I understand that you have an eight-week burnout course or training, I do. right? I do, I do. <laughs> yes. Can um, you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So because this is just something I'm hearing over and over again um, with some peers of mine, we kind of got together and using uh, Brene Brown's research, using my experiences, able to pull together just an eight-week burnout program prevention course or burnout recovery course, however you want to look at it, because it's going to serve both sides. Like, hey, I want to proactively address this issue of burnout or, oh gosh, like I kind of see myself in that. Like maybe I need to address that. And in eight weeks, is your life going to turn upside down? Absolutely not. Um, I am not a miracle worker and I don't (laughs) even pretend that I am. But in eight weeks, you can learn the tools, the signs, the symptoms, the preventative strategies to be able to feel like you have a little bit more of a hold on your life and that you're able to you're able to see the signs a little bit more readily and at the end of the eight weeks decide okay I need to have some additional support or okay I've got these tools I can course correct I'm going to try it for a little bit and then circle back around so mm-hmm. it's meant to be for those individuals who aren't willing ready financially commit to I would like ongoing support mm-hmm. um, it's something that we can do either individually or in a group setting to be able to pull people together talk about this And most of the burnout work I do is one-on-one because of the shame piece. And Mm -hmm. I really, truly hope that the more this conversation is out there, the more that we can have these conversations, bring the groups together because there's so much synergy in the fact of being able to meet somebody in an identical perfection saying, I'm there too. It's okay. You're not alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how the walls come down when you recognize that someone else doesn't have it all together either. And they and they vulnerably share that with you. Yes. It's so um, I think that's so powerful to the connection and and mutual healing that it it brings. So so it's eight weeks. Do people just go to your website? Yes, they can just go to the website. um, And that is melissaruciano-ts.com. A lot of people ask, what does the TS stand for? Given my, my love of Fiji, not that I've ever been there, but I love I'm it's on the bucket list is um, when I was so burned out, my my escape plan was I'm going to go sell umbrella drinks on a beach in Fiji because everybody loves the person who brings them an <laughs> umbrella drink. And um, from that, the company Tabu Soro was created and Tabu Soro means never give up in Fijian. Oh, I love that. And that's the message that I want to give to individuals, no matter where you are on that continuum no matter how many letters are behind your name or no letters behind your name, that life is meant to be lived and there's no time to give up. We're going to never give up. We're going to move forward and get you to that place in which you can thrive and make choices that are best for you, for your family and for those you impact. Love that. I I think that speaks so much to hope for healthcare. 
Yes. Yes. And there's a lot of hope out there. It's just, sometimes we've got to get out of that rut, lift our heads up and say, okay, I see, I see the hope on the horizon and here's some resources I can use to get there. Beautiful. I love that. We'll share everything in the show notes too, for people's reference. It's been a joy having you here. Um, Any final words? I think Um, I just want to tell anybody listening, you're not alone. We're going to get through this together. And there is hope on the other side of wherever you're at in your career. Love that. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Take care. You too. Thank you. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.